You're listening to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Tatiana Tenrero. She is a writer of, of a lot of things. She currently works for the Onion AV Club. She'll explain who she is herself in a little bit. This episode uh, is about the year 2011 and the indie rock of 2011, 10 years ago. Uh, there is a bit of an age gulf between Tatiana and I. So we're going to be looking at this from very different perspectives. She was a high school student at the time. I was a professional music critic who had been doing Fluxbog for many years at that point. So I was a lot more jaded and didn't really connect with quite the same things. Um, Yeah, but so this is the the premise of this one is that uh, Tatiana made a playlist and I will include a link to the playlist with the show that you can listen to for yourself. And we're just going to kind of go through the playlist and play little bits of the songs and we'll just talk a little bit about them and, you know, it'll be a good time. Stroll down memory lane. All right. Uh, Just a reminder that this is a Wednesday show. This is the Wednesday shows are free. The Saturday episodes are for Patreon subscribers. You want to subscribe and I I would love it if you do. You want to head up patreon.com slash fluxblog. Uh, and that's all I got to say. Let's just jump into the episode right now. Tatiana, can you tell the audience who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a staff writer at AB Club. And basically, I write about everything related to pop culture. I also work a lot on uh, news while also working on their great job internet section, which basically compiles the most notable viral things going on the internet, whether it's like Bean Dad or these Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all, it seems like all of those things kind of converge yeah. on Phoebe Bridgers right now. <laughs> like even if I don't want it to like my life now revolves around Phoebe Bridgers okay so what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to talk about a playlist you made uh, we decided we're going to talk about the year 2011 10 years ago uh, you are a teenager in this time I am in my early 30s one thing is a lot more exciting than the other as far as connection to music goes <laughs> Uh, so the playlist you made, uh, I hope that there's nothing on it. Like as far as artists, I hadn't like ever heard before, but there are a bunch of artists who I didn't really ever pay attention to. Uh, I think we're just going to go through it in order because it's not like a super long playlist. I think, uh, we can kind of get some interesting things out of all of these. So the first thing you have on it is the black keys, uh, lonely boy, which is a pretty big hit. I think most people would know it at least in passing. What is uh, your feeling on that song? I think that song was inescapable that year. I didn't even get into Black Keys, but I remember that song being like one of the anthems of 2011. 
And then there's uh, Midnight City and... Yeah, that's like two songs later. Yeah. Kicks, where it's like those songs like really encapsulate what that era was like. Where like, yeah, I think in the way that like if you watch like movies, they'll have like certain songs that'll just be used across all sorts of movies and TV shows to signify, you know, like like Fortunate Son is always like we're in this we're we're uh, we're in the Vietnam War. It's the late sixties. I think Midnight City is that for like twenty eleven. Yeah, and like that was a big era for indie going mainstream too. I mean, not, not that it hadn't happened before, but I think I remember a lot of these songs being used in a lot of commercials, which I hadn't. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's what the black keys were really famous for. That was like, yeah, I think that's, I mean, I, and I feel like that, 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 that gamble worked out so well for them in the end. Uh, because they have at least like five or six songs that like virtually everyone knows one way or another. I was, remember looking at their Spotify like landing page like maybe a few months ago and just being kind of stunned by the play counts on their biggest songs, which are all like hundreds of millions. Like they have the kind of like play counts that you would kind of associate with like Taylor Swift or Beyonce. But and then you kind of think of like all the other bands that you would kind of like think of as being on the same playing field having so much less like that band is like so much bigger than i think a lot of people even realize yeah and like that's the thing too like i barely know anything about them i know that um one of the guys is married to michelle branch is it right yeah the drummer yeah, that's all I know about them. Like, I don't know anything else besides like, that song and that detail about that guy. Is the, so, like, my whole thing with the Black Keys is I don't really, I'm not really into their music very much, but just through hearing and reading various interviews with them over the years, I think they're really cool guys. And one of the things I really like and admire about them is that they are just like super working class. They come from nothing. If you hear them talking about like the first few years of their band, it is just like they have the most like gnarly, like living on like a couple dollars a day while we're touring kind of stories. And but while all the while being like very calculated and careful and like saving money, it's just like it's a it's, this is a good like you know, good working class boys make good thing, which I think, especially in the context of a lot of the other bands from this era, like they are absolutely not coming from that kind of background. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's like, I, I'm mean, thinking right now, like comparing them to Portugal man who I started out like, like very, very indie band and then blew up and were inescapable. And they kind of like shift their personality to be like really really annoying but i feel like black keys have always like even though they're they have this hit song that's like inescapable they still like managed to stay at a level where they were never annoying guys they're just really chill yeah i think yeah they're, they're pros and they have a lot of hits at this point um like they've like all of their records have at least one big hit on it do, do you uh were you listening to like radio at the time i was not so my way of finding music at this time, I think, was mostly through Tumblr and Less FM. Interesting. And like some stuff would be like, I think, would be for, for like friends or movies, TV shows, that kind of thing, but definitely not radio. 
Were you looking at like Pitchfork and Stereogum and other blogs? So here's something that I think it's kind of funny about me considering where my career career is. I did not read Pitchfork growing up at all or Stereogum or any of the blogs. So you're basically getting, I mean, as we kind of get through this, like a lot of things that were like big Pitchfork acts, but you're kind of getting them like, like kind of like one step removed as they've entered into the Tumblr universe. Yeah, totally. There were so many bands that I only knew um, in that context, in context instead of like knowing them through how a lot of other people in the industry know them through like Pitchfork or Serigam or whatever other blog was covering them. And it's so wild. Um, you, mo- you probably remember I made that lunch table meme like a couple of years ago with all those like 2010 spans and somebody replied being like, Oh, it's every band that Pitchfork covered. And I didn't know. I was like, it's just bands I liked in high school. Yeah. Wait, so did you have any friends uh, who you had music in common with when you were in high school? No, not at all. I was the one who introduced a lot of my friends to bands. Like my friends had no idea who Rilo Kylie were or like any of these bands that like the Saddle Creek bands, stuff like that. They had no idea. I mean, in Puerto Rico, um, it wasn't as big as in the States. So like that phenomenon of being very into certain bands, certain labels and whatnot. So I had to find everything through the internet. Hmm. Like what were people into? Um, radio in I guess in like early to mid 2010s Puerto Rico. It was like very very like radio stuff. Like hmm. um like some people were really into um it was funny because like the Tumblr bands per se that came to Puerto Rico that like, like people actually really followed were Best Coast Waves um Folds. Oh yeah, that's one of those bands where like I, I I'm always kind of like oh they're they're kind of popular. I can't I don't really know why. I think it's I think it's because they're kind of an NME kind of band. Yeah, and like Foles were really big on Tumblr. So when people in Puerto Rico started getting into Tumblr, like they got into Foles. And then another one is Cut Copy and oh, yeah. Pit. Like people are really really into Passion Pit and Cut Copy. Like, they were obsessed with them. But it was such a small group of bands that people like, decided to latch onto back home. So it was, like, really weird where, like, I would be into these bands and I wouldn't have anybody to talk to about them. So I would befriend people on Tumblr to discuss them because nobody else in high school really cared How often do, do any bands kind of come through Puerto Rico? They really do not. Um, this is something that basically shows how, like, why there's a huge gap in what people listen to in Puerto Rico. I mean, people my age who are in a DIY scene, like they've listened to these bands. It's like they found a way also through the internet to um, go through the same experience as kids in the States where they listen to um, the Tumblr 
era bands like, you know, like um, Arctic Monkeys, Foles, The Strokes, um, Hunks and His Punks. And like, it's really tough for bands to tour in Puerto Rico. It's like, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to fly all the way you out. You have to fly there. Yeah, and like it's not like you can't just like go to the next town over. You're like, okay, we. I guess you could play multiple shows in Puerto Rico. Um, I, I imagine. I imagine it's pretty similar to being in Hawaii. Uh, just like kind of being part of the United States, but just kind of like way out of the way, and people just do not go there. Yeah, unless they're going on vacations or something. Yeah, totally. Like they're like, I think the first DIY show I went to in Puerto Rico was Hello Seahorse. And that's a Mexican band. And I was like the first band I discovered through Last FM that were playing my island. I was like, oh my God, holy shit, we have to go, we have to go. But besides that, like, I knew Vivian Girls played there like literally a year before I got into Vivian Girls. So I was like so pissed that I missed them. And I'm trying to think who else played. But yeah, not a lot of bands. We just got like a lot of. Um, huge bands that would play like once they had done their big tour to be like okay fine we'll go to puerto rico like uh paramore 30 seconds to mars but not yeah he barely got any what was the first band you saw live oh because like i saw a lot of like big artists i like the first artist i saw was ricky martin when i was six but the first time I actually saw a band, a rock band that I actually liked was The Killers. And I think I was 14 or 15. Okay. But yeah. Were you a big Killers fan or was it mostly because they were there? Um, I was and I wasn't. I, I had been a huge Killers fan from ages 11 to 13. So by the time they actually got to Puerto Rico... I was not as interested in them, but it was a kind of like reliving all the songs I loved. So it's like, oh, like finally, like I get to listen to them live. But yeah, like it was so limiting. Uh, move, moving along, uh, the Fleet Foxes, a song called Blue Spotted Tail, which is, I guess, from their second album. Why in the night sky are the lights hung? Why is the earth moving round the sun? Floating in the vacuum with no purpose, not a one. Why in the night sky are the lights hung? Oh, oh, oh. Why is life made only for the end? Why do I do all this waiting then? Why this frightened part of me that's fated to pretend? Why is life made only for the end? Oh, in the city only for a while, here to face the fortune and the bile. I heard you on the radio, I couldn't help but smile In the city only for a while oh. 
but yeah, uh, Fleet Foxes, uh, Blue Spotted Tail. I don't. I, I didn't really remember that one. I think the only song I really knew from the record is the, the title track, uh, Helplessness Blues. They had another song that I vividly remember being very into in high school. And from their self-titled. Oh, yeah, like White Winter Hill Mill or something like that. Yeah, I... That's like that's like the big famous one from that. Anyway. Um, Blue Ridge Mountains. That was the one that I like oh, yeah. had a deep emotional attachment to as a teen. But then this other album came out, and I remember it being huge on Tumblr. Like every white guy <laughs> would post it on their Tumblr. So that was my intro to the, the sad new era of white boy indie yeah i'm not sure if i ever really think of fleet foxes as being sad so much as they're just kind of like nature boys yeah it's like nature boys because i mean it's like i mean i would think of like bonavera as being uh also kind of like that but that's more that's more overtly sad whereas i always kind of feel like fleet foxes is warm they're kind of like let's have a hug and we're in the mountains and here I've made cocoa for you. Yeah. Like flea foxes just reminds me of like a guy going up to mountains and escaping all his problems and just like making, he's got some, he's got some good Patagonia on. Yeah. Yeah, That's a band where like, I always like a a few songs by them, but I I can't listen to a full record by them. Not, not because it would be like so off putting, but I just don't. Like I, I think, like I, I get my fill with Fleet Foxes pretty quickly. Yeah, they've been a band like I've only listened to casually. I never got super into them. Same with Bonnie Vera. Like, Bonnie Vera, I listened to them casually, and I liked the first record. But then I think they were a bit overhyped. Oh, uh, but then after that first record, that's when he starts being like, "I'm a little electronic too, guys." Yeah, that's where like, he lost me. That's when I was like, nope, eh, not into this. Yeah, I, I feel like I respect that guy, but I just do not like his music. <laughs> and it's not really like, you know, like, oh, God, I hate this guy away. It's just like, uh, this, this, it just, this washes over me. I don't, I think one of the weirdest things for me, the, the experience is when people have a very strong emotional response to something and i just can't even understand how they got that emotional response and that's one of those yeah like it's really interesting it's like people talk about skinny love like it's like the best song ever written when they look back but uh, i don't know i don't does it even stand the test of time i mean obviously it must because like the the cult of bonavere is, is does not stop it just gets bigger and i think one of the interesting things about bonavera is like his incredible appeal to pretty square people so it's i think bonavera is in a lot of ways like the weirdest thing a lot of like kind of normie people listen to oh yeah i mean i mean look at taylor swift taylor swift is as normie as it gets and like but she lo- clearly loves the national and bonavera enough to like kind of remake her whole career in their image yeah like i don't get i feel like it's such a natural thing for pop artists even kanye to gravitate towards bonnie Vera because it's so appealing to the normies but i was surprised with the national like that was a really pleasant surprise i think 
here's here's a band that I barely know. Uh, the Vaccines. deal with the vaccines oh man vaccines are so interesting it's like they were they blew up that year where that album came out um what did you expect from the vaccines and then after that it seemed like they kind of disappeared or people stopped caring yeah i mean wouldn't they be kind of considered like landfill indie I would say, which is which is such a dimiss- dismissive thing, but it's such a thing. But like, the thing is that I feel like they're even bigger than like traditional landfill indie because they became so fucking huge. Like these were, I think, radio hits. The, the the song you chose is called "If You Wanna." Was that like they're a big hit, or is it more of an album track? Um, they had a few big hits. It was that one, "Wrecking Bar." Um, and post breakup sex. Hmm. I have no. Uh, yeah, I just. <laughs> I don't even remember having like. It's like one of those things where like I know the name from magazines. Yeah. And that's about it. It's like the vaccines remind me of that band, not sonically, but just like how they came up and then disappeared. Um, to like the naked and famous. Where like you could hear that name all the time, and they would, uh, their music was used a lot in like I think commercials and the radio and whatever. Like they were the big indie band that was supposed to become the next huge thing, and they they right indie in terms of genre because I think all of these bands are like major label bands. Yeah, like indie as a genre, definitely not indie as an indie. And, and not and not indie as a genre as it would have been understood in the '90s or the aughts. It's very much like this kind of like post 2006 version of what indie was called you know yeah and it's like it's really funny because like i briefly worked as a dj in london at well the outskirts of london at this like student bar that like like every thursday i would dj and became like a huge thing where like college kids would get absolutely plastered and they, the way they explained what the music was supposed to be like to me was like, oh, indie is like anything that doesn't fit within like hard rock, basically. Yeah, I think it's basically what it's basically the the difference between like 
in, in the late 80s and early 90s why they started calling things alternative. It's not even like about the music so much as kind of differ, differentiating between the audiences. Yeah. Um, but here's a band that I did know pretty well at the time is Florence and the Machine uh, with uh, Shake It Out, which is one of their biggest songs. It's always darkest What is your vibe on Florence? I was very into Florence at that time. This is one of those songs that I remember being a huge deal that year when this album came out, Ceremonials. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty big because, I mean, even that for that first record was pretty big. And I think this is the record that kind of solidified them as, uh, I mean, I remember, I remember I saw Florence play a couple times that year. I went to see her play at Radio City Music Hall, which is obviously a pretty big venue to play. I also, uh, for work, uh, saw her record her MTV Unplugged at the Angel Orenson's uh, synagogue. She's a good live performer. Like one of the things that uh, I, I knew from someone I was seeing at the time, uh, she grew up with evangelical. You know, it was some evangelical background and she's pointing out like how many of the Florence songs are like very very Christian they're kind of like one of those bands that are like kind of very quietly a Christian band I had never noticed that I had no idea oh yeah I mean it's all over that record in particular I think this record I don't think I've actually listened to it in full I only remember certain songs being like really huge there's some really good album tracks in that one. The one that I liked the most was called Lover to Lover, which I think was uh, kind of a northern soulish kind of song. I was trying to think like when her first big album came out and just realized it was the year before. So that's why in my mind, I kind of think of both of them coming out at the same time because it felt like um, between. Yeah, I think. I think the first record came out in like '09, but it just had a really long like promo s- schedule. So she was basically like working really hard for like maybe three years straight. Yeah, that's wild. Like imagine like having two or three hit albums back to back and touring nonstop and not having a break. I don't know how she did. I mean, it paid off. I mean, she's like Florence the Machine is like basically an arena act anywhere they go now. Yeah. It totally paid off. Like that's like they have a very hardcore audience. Yeah, she's still like a big festival artist, and she plays all these hits. So good for her. She's still making people cry playing these. Songs. Yeah, I think there's five albums now, and yeah, I mean the and yeah, <laughs> she's making people cry. That's for sure. Um, and those are like just big dramatic songs, and in a way that like I think a lot of it's probably not as true in the late aughts, but I think. 
through the 2010s, like indie music or anything even adjacent to it really was not going for that kind of like big bombastic sound. And I, I kind of get the feeling that that's going to come back around again soon. Yeah. It's bound to. Like, and when people are super into these super dramatic songs, like Driver's License. So I feel like they're going back to that with the song. So moving on to girls. Wait, I just realized we actually skipped um, <laughs> Midnight City. Oh yeah, well, I, I just we skipped it because we were we already kind of hit it. I think we were kind of talking about Black Keys and Animated Three at the same time. No, we were just talking about Black Keys. We didn't talk about. <laughs> okay, all right. So you've got more on Midnight City. Let's let's double back to Midnight City. Tell me about Midnight City. Oh man, I feel like this song was the first commercial song that I actually felt a deep emotional attachment to. There are so many big songs that year that became like radio friendly and also used nonstop in commercials, but that was the only one that I was like, this will stick with me forever. Oh, I mean, that song just goes. That's one of those songs where you can just play it for people and they'll just kind of like lose their minds because I don't even think the rest of the M83 catalog really has as much of impact as that song does. Yeah, it really doesn't. I'm trying to think like what other song I cared about. <laughs> one, Although like my favorite song on that record is a song called Claudia Lewis. And uh, a little brief story about that song is when I started at BuzzFeed, uh, this would be in, I guess, early 20, uh, the middle, the middle of 2012. Um, this song was still kind of around obviously. And <laughs> one of the people who worked at Buzzfeed was this kind of like very beautiful, very obviously rich woman who was, I think she was just like one of the, the accounting people or something. She's a nice person, but definitely kind of had like this, you know, a certain energy. I remember mentioning to her like, Oh, do you know the song Claudia Lewis by M83? It's like spelled exactly as your name. And she was like, Oh, I think it might be about me. <laughs> like completely. And like, I, 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 she could have been doing a deadpan, but I, that was not my impression at the time. But now every time I think of that song, I think of her. <laughs> oh my God. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's actually plausible that it's about her. <laughs> she had kind of a jet-setting lifestyle, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, is she, like, has she been to France? <laughs> like, lived there? Oh, I, I, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, 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 it seems plausible. That song could just be about her. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, but M83... Uh, they're also interesting because uh, the record they followed up with a few years later, it was very clearly like, I don't want to be this arena rock band. I just wanted, you know, he really dialed it. 
you kind of like threw a curveball at people to kind of like winnow down the audience. Yeah. It's- or at least that, that's my impression of it anyway. I can't imagine like that. That was like, uh, I think, I think you, when you kind of break big like that, you really have that decision of, okay, are you going to just kind of follow your muse or, or and maybe alienate people? Or are you just going to really chase the brass ring? And he absolutely did not chase the brass ring. I remember junk. Is that the one you're talking about being really strange? Yeah. There, there may have been a soundtrack or something in between, but uh, yeah, that's the one that was the proper follow-up. Yeah. I remember listening to that one and being like, Whoa, what happened here? Yeah, you're definitely not getting Midnight City 2 on that one. But I feel like every other artist was trying to do Midnight City 2. Yeah. Okay, girls. Maybe I didn't realize the way I love the way you move till I move so far away I couldn't see you anymore Maybe all those secret times didn't seem so bad till I knew I was I never got into girls. I honestly really liked their previous album that came out in either uh, 2009, 2008. Oh, yeah, 2009 album. The one that has uh, Lust for Life on it and uh, Hellhole Rat Race. I think that one is absolutely incredible start to finish. But then uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost is still really, really good. And they just stopped there. They didn't make any more albums. They just decided to stop. Well, I mean, the, the one guy, like the main guy went solo, right? And the other guy recently passed away. Yeah. Um, have you followed? Like, what, I can't remember his name. Um, Chris Owens. The guy and girl. Sorry? Chris Owens. Chris Owens. There you go. Like, how is his solo work? I don't think I ever listened to it, honestly. I I didn't seek it out because I love girls' songs so much. Yeah, I feel like girls is an interesting thing because it's like it's so of its time. I don't know if girls would have like 
newer generations of fans coming through and people don't really seem to talk about it much now. It was definitely like of this very specific moment in time. Yeah. It was definitely, it was like also like got like crazy, crazy high respect from critics in a way that I never really understood, but you know, people I knew really, really liked it. I didn't really question it, but you know, the, I think there's definitely a thing in me where I'll just be like, I don't know why you like this when like there's this and this is like the same thing, but better. <laughs> but which is kind of a, a fruitless argument. But yeah, I mean, girls um, album got a 9.1 on Pitchfork. Yeah, and I'm thinking of like, OK, what would be something from around the same time that I would say is like similar, but better? Like, well, I like field music a lot more. But field music is a lot more like precise and the emotions in that aren't quite as on the surface as girls. Girls really is more of a plaintive, uh, you know, I, I think it's a little, it's just more, a little more accessible in that emotional sense. Yeah. Cause like the only other band that comes up mine, probably cause I have discussed it with Kit is Pains of Being Pure at Heart. It's like, I think. Oh yeah, and they're they're from a couple. They, their record came out, I think, oh uh, nine, right? Yeah, but that's also because I have talked about curls with Alex and Kip a lot, where it's like right, Alex Natus and uh, Kip. Berman. Yeah, where like, we've been like, wow, girls were fucking awesome. Like, what happened to them? Yeah, I think mean, things kind of imploded, and like that guy had like a whole crazy story of like growing up in that cult. Yeah. And- yeah, rough stuff. Well, I just realized that Pitchfork gave Father Son Holy Ghost a lar- um, larger number than. Op- yeah, yeah. I mean, like their whole catalog, they just kind of went crazy on. Yeah, and and it's so funny where like these bands get so much critical acclaim and then they disappear. They just become um. What's it? I mean, I think I think with girls is because they didn't. Well, they kind of imploded for one thing, but also I don't think they really had as much of a careerist impulse. Um, but I don't. It's also another thing worth pointing out about this era is like it's really kind of like the last couple of years where Pitchfork really had a, a cultural power, where if they got behind something, like lots and lots of people would. I don't think Pitchfork has had that kind of cultural power. And, at least six or seven years, if not longer, maybe eight years. Yeah, like it's hard to tell for me at least, as somebody who didn't grow up with Pitchfork, like how much power Pitchfork actually has. Oh, I mean, it, it the, in the aughts, uh, it was a truly astounding level of cultural power, and it, I mean, it's it was I don't know, it's, it's interesting, like how like things will have like this kind of amazing cultural sway and then they'll burn out for one reason or another, or they'll become less relevant for one reason or another, often technologically. And, you know, but like, I mean, I remember, I mean, I grew up in like the blast zone of where MTV just ran all of culture and then pitchfork really ran the kind of indie artsy music for, I would say pretty solidly from around like, 2001 through let's say 2012 or so it's really interesting it's like um i was looking back 
I've had a lot of reviews the past year from like 10 years ago. And there was like that infamous Black Kids review where like they had given a high mark to their EP. And then when the album came out, they're like, nope, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a hard backlash like internally, not even like responding to the world. But yeah, that was the kind of like cultural power they had where they could like, that was, that's probably like the most extreme example of we made you and we can destroy you. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, I don't think it was quite as vengeful as that, but yeah, that was, yeah, like that band probably would not have had as much attention otherwise, and they probably could have had a longer run otherwise. Rough. It's rough stuff. Um. But yeah, I mean, the you the, the the girl's song you chose is Jamie Marie, which is one I d- I didn't remember at all. Like what like what was it about that song? I think it's actually the only one I remember from this specific album. It's like I was obsessed with album, so this one I remember it being important. But for me personally, it was more forgettable. I'm sure somebody's listening and be like, "No, it was a lot better." But I. F- feel like Jamie Marie and Honey Bunny were two of the ones I definitely remember being big for me. Let's let's move along to the horrors. horrors i feel like i would have a lot of trouble differentiating from the vaccines they could not be more different aesthetically and otherwise really because i mean to me like it just sounds like exactly the same there's another song later on by cold war kids and that like all those three songs could just you could just i couldn't tell you just like if i heard them now even though i listened to them just before we started talking I couldn't tell you which one was which if you just played them out of context. Wow, that is blasphemous. But yeah, the horrors were basically trying to cultivate this goth aesthetic that it was really interesting. It's like they did not make music that you would associate with their aesthetic. And they had like this like, really dark, broody uh, persona, each, each member. But then Skying came out. And I remember being in high school and thinking, I can't believe I'm witnessing band release their best album in real time. <laughs> the, the horrors are British, right? Yeah. They were one of those bands that um, obviously on a lower scale than Arctic Monkeys, but 
they had a huge following on Tumblr because they're attractive men with an aesthetic that kind of resembled the MySpace emo aesthetic, but a bit more grown up, less campy. So they got a lot of attention from teenage girls. They were a huge thing for teenage girls. So they're kind of a boy band in a way. Uh, I kind of, but no, it's, it's kind of like a goth Arctic Monkeys thing. Yeah. I don't know, but it's just really interesting. Well, let's actually just go a little bit out of order and just go to Arctic Monkeys so we can kind of like continue this thought. Like, are you, are, are you more into Arctic Monkeys? Than the horrors? Yeah. Like, like, how would you kind of, because uh, it sounds like you're, if I'm understanding you, it's, it seems like you're saying that the horrors are kind of a lesser Arctic monkeys or kind of a reaction to Arctic monkeys. The horrors are kind of like, I, I don't, I'm trying to be careful if I, how I phrase it. Cause like, I don't remember exactly what their standing was within Psygeist and I also know bridge kids will have like intense thoughts about this but they were one of those British bands that kind of um, they got a lot of their following online and Hmm. while Arctic Monkeys had a bigger a much larger audience and they were definitely more of a critic starling band from the the get go too yeah this one is more interesting like I feel like they were deeply underrated and critics liked them, but they never became a huge arena playing band. Like, I mean, I saw them play rough trade. Um, yeah. Which is kind of like a, like a smallish size venue inside of a record store. Yeah. And I was really surprised. Cause like um, the first time I saw them was in London in I think 2014. And it was a really, really big venue. I mean, it was the size of... I'm trying to think. Like, Bowery Ballroom? Okay, so not, like, tremendously bigger. Not like, when you, bigger. Saw, when you saw the horrors play in Brooklyn, was there a lot of British people in the audience? No, not really. Okay, because I, I asked because, like, that's one of those things where, like, when bands who are bigger in other countries come to the United States, especially in New York City, like, you'll just get a lot of expats there. <laughs> so, like, a good example would just be, like, Sloan, uh, the Canadian band Sloan, who, you know, for a little while were, like, a very big deal in Canada. And when they play, you know, in New York, and I've seen them a bunch of times, like, but, yeah, it's, like, lots and lots of Canadians. Yeah, surprisingly, I thought there would be a lot of English people, but there, there really weren't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna text you a picture of them so you can understand if you've never seen them. So I th- I'm just picturing like you know handsome, skinny guys uh, with like moppy haircuts. Yeah, and I was pretty much right. Like, like let's see, like yeah, okay. So a few, few guys have bigger hair. A few guys have shorter hair. I mean, you sent two pictures. The second one, you could that could just be like people going as My Chemical Romance for Halloween. <laughs> Wait, are they meant to look Harry Potterish in the next picture? I don't think that was the intention. 
they look yeah they look like we're the band that's that plays at the we, we're playing a show at hogwarts <laughs> yeah they were trying really hard to be goth and have shoegaze influences in their music but it just kind of looked like a grown-up version of what my chemical romance looked like <laughs> uh so tell me a bit more about arctic monkeys just when things are getting complicated in the eye of the storm she flicks a red hot revelation off the tip of her tongue it does a dozen somersaults and leaves you supercharged it makes me wanna blow the candles out just to see if you glow in the dark Arctic Monkeys is one of those bands where like they've become really big and like pretty consistently popular uh, in a way that it's like, oh, them, they, they did it. All right. Because they've always been on the, the real outside of my attention. Yeah. I, my interest in Arctic, Arctic Monkeys was kind of strange because I discovered them, I think, in 2006. But I didn't start paying attention to them until... Probably 2009, 2010. I feel like their first hit song that I remember was in 2006. Right. I think the, the, the breakthrough song for them was uh, the, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Yeah. And then like... That one that, that one definitely goes. That is a real... Like, yeah. Because like, I remember like my initial, the whole, my initial response to them and just like how people wrote about them was like... Oh, they're they're like Franz Ferdinand, but they're like really young. <laughs> yeah, it's like each album, like even their early ones, they like each had one or even like four hits. It's like um, it's that one, whatever people say I am, that's why I'm not has. But you look on dance floor, um, dancing shoes. Oh wait! You know what? I, you know what? I, you, hold on! I, you know who I, I think the Arctic Monkeys are? I think they are the British Black Keys. Yes and no. I feel like their music had a bigger reach than Black Keys. No, Black Keys definitely much bigger in the United States by far. But I think they, they're, they're they're both kind of like uh, like their own country's version of a, a meat and potatoes rock band, and they they're just really consistent like they're 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 pretty accessible they tour relentlessly you know like they're they're just hard working bands that kind of do it the old fashioned way no, oh yeah no but it's like the way i'm thinking about it it's like black keys don't really have a persona per se they're just themselves they just play hits and all oh, right. While the Arctic Monkeys, like that guy, really has more like I'm a I'm a I'm like a really cute English guy. I have a haircut, you know. Yeah, I feel like Arctic Monkeys became like more celebrity, like more like celebrities within music. Right? Wasn't that one guy? Am I remembering this right? Like he, he was with like Alexa Chung or something like that. Yeah, it was a huge couple that like. They got a lot of press for it. 
Um, every teenage girl went crazy for that coupling on Tumblr too. So they had this. Like, yeah, that's extremely Tumblr. Yeah, like it just felt overwhelming. Where like it was like one of these big Hollywood couples in a way, even though they're British, it was treated the same way. Yeah. I know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, though, it's like I feel like they're both like meat and potatoes rock bands in the way that they would be in each of those countries. And I think like the British conception of that would have a bit more glamour. It has more of like we date models, whereas the American version of it, you know, going back a ways like like Black Keys are like, you know, they I would feel like they're part of a lineage. that go back to like Grand Funk Railroad or something <laughs> where it's just like. Meat and Potatoes rock bands like Bachman Turner, Bachman Turner Overdrive, though they're from Canada, I think, you know, like that, that kind of like radio rock energy, but not really like what they would call like a butt rock energy where that would be more like Nickelback and, you know, like the more like gross guys like Black Keys aren't really gross. Yeah, Arctic Monkeys were very different because they tried to reinvent themselves with each album and it got to a point where at one point um, Alex Turner made the shift where he tried to Americanize himself and he started speaking American accent. He adopted this. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of a British rock star doing that. Yeah. That is insane. Like he definitely like his accent Americanized a little bit more. Um, he adopted this greaser aesthetic. That well, that, that's what I, that's the image I have for him when I when I think of yeah, what, what, what does that guy look he like. He used to look like any other English boy before that, like like big mop of hair, um, cute knitted sweaters, <laughs> and like the uh, collared shirt underneath, like very 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 English. And I don't know what happened with fame. Like that's how you can trace the fame shift well, do, you, do you think it's because he was kind of like fashion adjacent this through his girlfriends maybe but second and see is where he from what i remember start showing the aesthetic that's more americanized like that is when a big shift happens where it's like arctic monkeys are now trying to desperately be the strokes because they're oh they're also obsessed with the strokes like alex turner is a huge strokes fan so he kind of tried to copy the aesthetic of the Strokes, which is really funny. right. Well, it, I feel like he's like he was more successful at being the Strokes than the Strokes have been. Yeah, kind of like that. Let's move move along to Cold War Kids. All my windows were barred. The sun made straps of shade. I was sitting around like a zombie. I have no memory of the song that you chose called Louder Than Ever. 
the one song I ever remember by them is that like the hanging me out to dry oh, song, yeah. which I knew for years without realizing that it was cold war kids. I think I always just thought it, I don't know. I don't know who I thought it was, but at some point I was like, who does that song? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's what they sound like. Yeah. Cause I, I'm my main association with cold war kids was like, they were kind of relentlessly, uh, like a, a, real, a, real, a real relentless PR push to blogs when they were first coming out. I was like, no, oh, thanks. Yeah, I honestly, I look back at their music. I really liked it at the time. But it feels like one of those bands that worked really well during that era, but were never meant to succeed afterwards. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to do okay on the touring circuit. They, they play, like, reasonably sized venues. But I feel like that's another band where they have a real normie audience. And normie audiences are... If you can get that normie audience, like, they can be very, very loyal to you. You gotta worry about having the cool audience, because the cool audience will definitely abandon you. Yeah, and, like, they did not have a cool audience. They really didn't. They were just... One of those, like the American version of Landfill Indie, I guess. Hmm. Do you, what is your vibe on this song? Was Louder Than Ever also a hit or is it more of an album track? Pretty sure it was a hit. Or at least I remember it like making rounds online a lot. Because like hanging, Hang Me Up to Dry was like their big hit from that era. But is, is that the same album? One second. You can, you can edit this out. I'm just like trying to see. <laughs> yeah, I always tighten it up a little. Um, no. Uh, wait, one sec. So, is this, so I guess this is the record after the. Yeah. The so the other record was in 2007, actually. Okay, wow, that is a while yeah. back. So, th- so this is like—is this like maybe two or three records out? Apparently. Wow. It was like. Cold War—they're—they're they're hard. They're hard-working rock band. Yeah, like, okay, so they had. I'm looking at the timeline now, they had Roberts, Roberts and Cowards in 2007, that had uh, "Hanging Me Up to Dry" and also has like other semi-popular songs like "We Used to Vacation." And St. John and Hospital Beds, which is like the other one that uh, Florence covered. And then, so like, hmm. I think that's when they got really big. Cause like they had also like Florence covering their songs, so like got attention again. She covered it in 2009. So afterwards, they released an album in 2008 that I don't remember any songs of. I, I don't think I listened to this one at all. But then in 2011, they came out with like their other like, semi-hit album. Not as big as the 2007 one, but still pretty big. What is their most recent record? I have no idea. Let me see. Oh, apparently they released one last year. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that, that explains why you might not have heard about it. Oh, that's rough. 
And oh wow, so okay, I just looked it up now. So like they put out a two part album, one in twenty nineteen and one in twenty twenty. I heard nothing of either the record. So they've wow, they've been very prolific. So like the then like uh, twenty seventeen, twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen. So so this is like this is like four albums ago for them. So this is like the, you're talking about mid period Cold War kids. Yeah, pretty much. And like I'm looking at they released a greatest hits album in 2018 and i'm pretty sure it's mostly from those two albums i mentioned i i appreciate the fact that they put out a greatest hits album that's really that's a bold move there's lots of people who have tons and tons of oh, sorry there's lots of people who have tons of hits who have not done yeah that. moving along to yuck trying to make it through the Just a little bit before we recorded, I saw like announced that they broke up, though they haven't put out a record in like six or seven years. Yeah. And I honestly do not think any of their other albums were nearly as good as their first one. Well, they only made like two or three, right? They don't have much of a catalog. I mean, I remember looking at that earlier and be like, oh, because like, my response to seeing that news, like, didn't they yeah. break up like Seven years ago? Seven years ago, too. I was so surprised. It's like, oh, wait, where did this come from? Like, I thought they broke up in, like, 2010. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's some there's some really good songs in this record. The one that I liked a lot was called Shook Down, which is kind of like a... To me, it always sounded like... It was kind of like a Jim Blossom's uh, Lemonheads kind of vibe. Very, very, very mid-90s kind of song. I also like I think some of their songs, especially that one, really had that kind of like song that would be in like a TV show during a like a sad breakup or something. Yeah, I I feel like the song I remember the most is the one I included in the playlist. Wall. The wall. I think that is one of the best guitar based in these songs from the twenty tens. I interviewed the guy from Yuck uh, for Rolling Stone uh, when this record came out. And to this day, it is the worst phoner I've ever done in my life. Like talking to this guy, like a sweet guy, but like was in no, (sighs) he just could not talk about himself or his music in any way. And it was just so quiet and just trying to get anything out of him was just like pulling teeth. Um, I don't think that he had ever been, you know, I don't think he, like a, he ever had a PR person be like, well, this is how you talk to journalists. This is how, you know, you talk about your band. Like he just. Yeah. Like I interviewed somebody who is now big. I'm not going to say who it was. And like, I remember it was one of her first interviews and she did not know how to express herself very well. And now she's like very very well known and it's like wow okay now you're a pro but it's really painful when you interview people who are in their early 20s they have never had any pr coaching and they have no idea how to talk about stuff yeah do you feel like if someone interviewed you when you were 20 
you would have hand you would have been okay though could you just roll with it no i can barely <laughs> i can barely express myself as somebody in her nearly late 20s <laughs> i think we can still say mid 20s for you ah, this year would be like late 20s wait i just realized that the yuck guy is only 30 years old what yeah, he, he was just a little baby when I talked to him. That that was the whole thing. I think he, he probably was like 19. Wow, I had not realized he was that young. I thought he was maybe like 22, but wow. Yeah, I mean, even still, that's super young. But yeah, I think that was that was one of those things where it's kind of like the, like I was saying with the Arctic Monkeys when they first came out, they were super super young, uh, and like that was part of the hook. Like, oh man, they're they're just they're just little babies. They're making this music. Um, let's let's move along to Vivian Girls, who I know you're a big fan of. like there are some of these things where it's like well why don't you like this thing and for me vivian girls has a, a very clear counterpart in dum dum girls who i liked a lot and vivian girls i just had no feeling for at all see i feel the opposite i did like both but i liked only a couple dum dum girls songs but i felt strongly about vivian girls what did you connect with with vivian it girls? was mostly that they just they gave zero fucks. They were just like, they played similarly in terms of like sonically and also like their vibe to. They, they had like bigger yeah. personalities. I think the, 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 I think the real distinction between them is Dum Dum Girls is a lot more musical. Like they're definitely, they're, those are much more polished and more like written, written songs. And they were produced by uh, Richard Goddard, who was, had like this enormous career. And he also produced Blondie and stuff like that. But, um, the Vivian girls is more like a real rough and tumble. Like a few people made a band without really knowing what they were doing in kind of like the most charming way. Yeah. And like, they seem like really similar to other Jersey bands that I liked that were, all dudes so seeing women be part of this band and have a really similar sound just blew my mind as a teen because i hadn't had much of that exposure to women in bands yet and then also knowing that they had been the same social circles as tyson dronica's and real estate also like sold them to me but yeah, Vivian Girls were special to me because like I remember vividly 
discovering them through, I think, Last FM. And I did some. When you when you when you get something from Last FM, like how much context do you get with that? Because it feels like my my memory of Last FM is you're just kind of basically seeing what other people are playing. No, so the way Last FM worked, at least like during that time, I don't know. They've changed so much of how it worked, but it would show this mini player with pictures of the band and fun facts about them. Okay, so you so you were getting a story. Yeah, you would get a story, sure. and I remember after that I looked them up on Wikipedia, and it said they had played Puerto Rico. So I was like, "Oh wow!" Like they were here, and I didn't know. So that, for some strange reason, made me like them more because I was like, "They actually made the effort to come here," so I appreciate that so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're showing you uh, pro- what their where their priorities yeah. are. Yeah, let's let's move along to real estate. Uh, it's real. one of those bands I definitely discovered through the internet either last FM or Tumblr and I did not know they were a huge thing in the states well I mean not huge but like they're like they well, did okay you know like that kind of thing where like if you asked any white guy who read Pitchfork between the ages 15 to 20 if they yeah yeah, they're they're absolutely they were they were big on pitchfork for sure. Yeah. That's 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 the fair thing. So like to say. I did not know that context and I just remember being really into um their self-titled and then this album Days and thinking like it was such a great album to to listen to like while on a drive looking at nature for some reason. I don't know why. Oh yeah. I mean, the thing that I always get from that is like it always kind of yeah it has kind of like an outdoors feel. It's very it's very suburban. It's also makes me feel like oh this is like you know, imagining like people like on the quad at a liberal arts college. <laughs> it has a very um, but and, uh, the other thing with them too is like my I think certainly their first few records they always kind of feel to me like this is like what REM would be like if Michael Stipe was not in the band and like Mike Mills had to be the leader of REM. It would be like a much more like introverted version of REM. Um, not that Michael Stipe is hugely, you know, but you know, you know what I'm saying. It's like much more of like a, it's not really a star power kind of energy. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely like an REM early REM ishness to that. I had never noticed that, so now I need to like revisit their discography and see if I can feel the um, REM. Like I mean. That I mean, that one dude clearly loves Peter Buck. The, the guitar player clearly loves Peter Buck. But I think at the same time, like I mean, I'm sure they they, they are big REM fans. But 
the REM was just so influential through the eighties and early nineties that like, there's just a lot of bands that were trying to play like Peter Buck. And I think similarly, like uh, Johnny Marr and the Smiths, like that, there's that particular guitar style, uh, a lot of arpe- arpeggiated parts. Um, so I think that he <laughs> real estate could just as well be like really into like the REM also rounds, if not as much as like REM itself. Hold on, I'm trying to see like, what else was next. And like the next one is like, <laughs> yeah, the next one that was is a big hit. Uh, Foster the people, pumped up kicks. I hate this song, but I also cannot ever forget this song. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this, yeah, this is like a song that I think everyone knows one way or another and there's always like that's it's also one of those songs where like hey, did you know it's about sh- uh, school shootings? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've paid attention to the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like I don't know how they got away with making a cutesy song about school shootings that is played on the radio nonstop. Still is. It so is, and like, it's not a great song. It's it's kind of it's a very vibey song, you know. It's 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 a very it's a feel. It's a, without really being like a lot of other things, it just has a real strong radio vibe to it. Yeah, and like, did they do anything else? Did they have other hits? Yeah, they, they they've had other hits since then like they remain like a pretty solid radio band at least for a little while afterwards but like certainly no hits on the scale of that song um but definitely like like, they're one of those things where if you look at like um like what is actually played on like rock radio they're like oh there's foster the people songs i've never heard of that are in high rotation they're yeah they're just they're, they're very much like a radio kind of band very los angeles yeah, I always mix them up by name with with Johnny Foreigner for some reason. It's making up at the same time. Yeah, um, they're also like, you know how like there'll just be like a band name format that will just go on for a little while, and like there'll just be all these bands kind of jumping on. Like, well, I here's you know, but they're like one of those bands where it's like something the something, and that was a big radio band format, like Cage the Elephant. There's there's a bunch. Oh of yeah. Them. Let's move along to Neon Indian. Uh, their song Polish Girl or Polish Girl. Is it Polish Girl or Polish Girl? I'm, I'm thinking it's Polish. Yeah. But yeah, that's 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 like their biggest song, I think. I I think so, but it's funny because I included this one because I knew it was huge 
but I actually had only listened to Psychic Chasms that came out, I think, 2009. Yeah, that, that that's their like uh, shoegaze summer, like their, their song called uh, Deadbeat Summer. But yeah, that's like, but uh, I feel like that song has like more of like a cultural impact, whereas Polish Girl is like, that's their hit. Like, yeah. that's the song that lots of people love. Because, like, I remember discovering Terminally Chill from Psychic Chasms through Last FM in high school. So, I listened to that one a lot. But then, this year, well, last year, actually, like, late last year during the pandemic, I started to look back at what I was listening to on Last FM. And... I realized I had never listened to Era Extraña in full. So when I listened to Polish Girls, like, oh, wait, I know this song. This song is played everywhere. <laughs> the song that I really like about them is also on that record. Uh, it's called uh, Fallout. Do you, did you hear that one? Yeah. That one's so good. It has this really like strong vibe to it. It's a really good breakup song. It's like courses like if i could fall out of love with you and uh like i, I remember like i'm really like, kind of digging into the lyrics of that one i think i've written about it like at least i think i've written about it twice actually but that song um is really like from the perspective of like some guy and like a woman's trying to like make him grow up a little and he's kind of pushing back against it that sounds on brand with him he seems like I don't know if he's still living in New York, but he seems like one of those guys who is like very broy and is like very, I guess, very sceny DIY guy who has his bros in the scene and kind of wants to stay a teenager forever. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Neon Indian's kind of Indian. Neon Indian is, I think, uh, kind of underrated in some ways. Like, there's they have they have some other good songs later on too. Yeah, this whole album, I I saw that. I think it. I was reading a Pitchfork review. Let me see. Hold on. Like, for it, it just criticized the album. It was like this is not meaningful. I know they had a song like more recently that went over pretty well in the music press. Like there's the, they, I think they had like a pretty good comeback and at least on that kind of small scale. Yeah. So it was actually Larry, Larry Fitzmorris uh, reviewed it for Pitchfork and was kind of like, it's good, but it's not quite there yet. But I actually think that it's probably his best. I mean, Larry definitely very invested in shoegaze. I think he's one of our great, sh- uh, not shoegaze, uh, chill wave. Chill, yeah. Like chill- Larry is definitely one of like the the great chill wave scholars. Um, let's move along to Gauntlet Hair. <laughs>
silly name. I think they're, you know, they're one of those bands that kind of totally forgotten. Um, when I went, when I was listening to the playlist you made, the song that I remember writing about was called My Christ. And I think that was more of a shoegaze song. Whereas this song, Top Bunk, is like, wow, this is such an animal collective ripoff. It's out of control. <laughs> like they were, they were so clearly trying to write an animal collective song. Oh, no, we also skipped Panda Bear. So we can talk about Panda Bear here too. Uh, Panda Bear, you can count on me. No, you can't count on me. seems like panda bear was like moving away from the kind of music that gauntlet hair was like oh we'll do it (laughs) yeah i actually it's really funny because i I got into panda bear before animal collective and then like like like, like the the solo record uh person pitch yeah i was massively obsessed with person pitch in high school but i had not listened to any animal collective records in full I think the only song I knew by Animal Collective in high school was Summertime Flows. And then I got super into them in college, like massively obsessed with them in college. Yeah. I I, I like Mary Weatherpuss Pavilion a lot more than uh, Person Pitch. I like, I like Strawberry Jam a lot, but I, I, I like Strawberry Jam like a few years after it came out. Cause I remember not being into it when it came out sort of arbitrarily. I'm not sure like what I was hearing in that record at the time. I think, I think what I thought it was, I think I thought they were trying to sound like the flaming lips. I was not, I was like, I don't like that for you, but I don't even know how I got that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, so I think MPP was my first like favorite Emma collective album. And then I was like, I don't think anything else is like as good as this, but now looking back, I actually think that feels is oh yeah that's a cool one it's so good like i think like they try to be very different at the time like stand out and i think they helped him um become really popular even if it's like like, underrated album i like the record after merriweather a lot uh centipede hurts which i think that record is very divisive I that one and that album has a really odd sound to it, which is part of why I like it. But it, it's just it has a really strange mix. Centipede. Centipede hurts. Yeah, that's the one after uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Yeah, so I that's like the 
I saw them for first time when they were touring with that album. And I liked some of those songs, but I did not love it. That record, you know, that might be like the most Animal Collective, Animal Collective record in the sense that it kind of combines like all the different things that they did into one place. Yeah, but I feel like they were trying too hard to when you have Meriwether and it's absolutely incredible and getting so much critical acclaim, like you have to follow it up with something that feels like that, but even bigger. And I Right. And they, they were not willing to do that. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't think that record is like off putting or something. I don't think it's like, it's not like the, we were talking about before with M83, where I think that really was kind of like a very harsh move away from uh, like that big romantic sound. Whereas I think, with Animal Collective, uh, well, their, their lineup changed slightly because Deacon came back into the band. They were doing more, they, they, they were really, they changed like what they're literally playing. So they were more of a rock band on uh, Centipede Hearts, where they're more of a synth pop group on uh, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Um, so yeah, I think, I, th- I think uh, also there's a lot less Panda Bear singing on uh, Centipede Hearts. But I think, like, I actually think that the, their Panda Bear songs are a lot better than 80s songs. Oh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my favorites are A.B. Terror songs, for sure. Like, I mean, I feel like the, 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 with Animal Collective, I think they're at their best when the two of them are kind of balanced with each other. Yeah. It's like, I, they will never have another song as big as my girls and that's a panda bear one but i also like like contradicting myself i also think that av was so vulnerable and bluish oh that song is gorgeous that is such a gorgeous song and like uh that's one of those songs where when people cover it you really get a sense of like what i mean i think the, the thing with them is like they at their best, they write really good, like, song songs. Like, really beautiful things. But they arrange everything in strange ways where you might not necessarily notice how well-built the songs are. Or how conventional the songs are. Yeah. Like, Meriwether Post Pavilion, like, I think almost all of those are just, like, really straightforward, beautifully written songs. And... Uh, while the arrangements are interesting uh, and very much them, it, it doesn't overwhelm the balance. Whereas I think a song like Centipede Hurts, like the sound of it can get a, get in way of the melodies more. Yeah. And like, I'm trying to think if there's like a Panda Bear song that feels like Meriwether Post Pavilion. Not a lot of things actually feel like Meriwether Post Pavilion. So I think going back to Gauntlet Hair, <laughs> it, like that they could make something that sounds so animal collective y. I mean, I think there is kind of a brief window of time where people are doing it, but like, what are they really doing? They're, you know, they're singing a particular way, they're just going crazy with reverb. But I think like the, the real things that make animal collective distinct are, are harder to capture. Yeah, because like I don't think that people realize how intricate the 
Animal Collective lyrics are. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's also like they have really interesting lyrical perspectives. Like they, I, like they write so much about like being like they sing a lot about responsibility. <laughs> like way more than most like for that's that's a very interesting thing to be like a running theme through your whole catalog just they, they just want to be good people who do the right thing and are responsible to like their families and children and partners um let's move along to cults uh a song called go outside that was kind of like their first big uh crossover song it was a blog song like it was in some ads popular and i remember it being one of those like really like um like tumblr era pop songs that were pushed like in the mainstream were you into cults i was into a couple of their songs i mean i kind of remember them having like a weird dynamic uh, the two of them, I can't remember. Were they in a relationship or something? I can't remember what the details are. I can't but I remember it being weird in some way. They just reminded me of like a very tame version of Sleigh Bells for some reason. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like extreme decaf Sleigh Bells. Yeah, because like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Sleigh Bells were huge for me. Like, um, and Treats came out the year before. And I yeah, I think this is the same year as the second album, the one with Demons on it. Yeah, like Real Real and Infinity Guitars were big songs for me. Definitely. Yeah, I I love Sleigh Bells to this day. Like they're they're a really good band. Uh, I know they have something coming out later this year, so they'll be back soon. Um. Okay. Let, let, okay. I, I don't think we have a lot to say about Colts. I guess. <laughs> Like, given that we kind of spun off into sleigh bells they're instead. Like, cults are just like, they're just there. They're just pleasant. They make it. They have a song on the record after it called, like, I think it's like, uh, Can I Make You Mine or something like that. I can't remember exactly how the title goes. But I really like that one a lot. That's for maybe two years later. Okay, and okay. So the last song you have is Lana Del Rey with her breakthrough song, Video Games. It's you, it's you. It's all for you Everything I do I tell you all the time Heaven is a place on earth with you Tell me all the things you want to do I heard that you like the bad girls, honey Is that true? It's better than I ever even knew They say that the world was built for two Only 
Yeah, I vividly remember when the music video dropped. Um, as a true Tumblr kid, I remember thinking that she encapsulated all of the aesthetics I was like super into. It's like she makes like old Hollywood with like the um, very DIY California indie kid aesthetic. And with, and also like the basic white girl flower crowns thing. So there was like she basically took everything that teenage girls were into and she introduced herself with that. And yeah. She I mean the whole I feel like every step of the way, like she is mood board based music. Yeah. So I remember the song like when it dropped, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, and like, she definitely made this video herself. It's like so like, extremely DIY. Cause like she just basically grabbed a bunch of clips, like old Hollywood clips, and just put them together in the video. And it shouldn't make sense, but it worked perfectly. And she just sings directly in a camera, and it looks like it was recorded on her computer. Did, did, did you relate to the song? Yeah, totally. It's like, I, I had just gone through, um, not like a breakup. It's like the guy wasn't my boyfriend, but it's like a guy who ghosted me. And I was so in my feelings that I listened to that song all the time. And I remember my uh, my dad was running a marathon like uh, right outside Atlanta so my family took a trip for like, a couple of days just to see him run and I would just like listen to that song while they were driving around in the dark where you could see the stars and I, it was just like such a movie experience where it's like oh my god I'm feeling everything <laughs> If someone told you back then that she would have the longevity that she's had since, like, would you have believed it? I don't think so. And it's funny because, like, as soon as she became famous, I just had no interest in her whatsoever. Okay, so so you're not uh, oh, what's the name of her last? So you're not like a like a like a ride or die uh, oh, Lana oh, fan I, the way a lot of people I really become. liked certain songs like um. Off to the races, blue jeans, Dime Mountain Dew. Like Dime Mountain Dew is probably my favorite. Yeah, this is all from like, yeah, the like first that record. one. Like Dime Mountain Dew, besides video games, was the one that I listened to the most. Like I listened to it a lot, and then after our first record, I just stopped caring about her. I just like when I saw that she was not going to be like a best coast kind of artist and was actually going to be like ten times bigger. I was like, eh, <laughs> not into it. I don't know why. You, uh, you were not into Norman fucking Rockwell. I mean, no, I was into that one. I just, I did not like, while I was in college, I didn't like when she became a pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, where people are concerned with who she's dating. Yeah, like where it's kind of like 
the Phoebe Bridgers effect where it's like when it's an obscure artist, you're like, yeah, I like this. But when everybody's talking about her, you're like, okay, there's an overload. Right. Like she's now like, like Phoebe Bridgers is now. Yeah. I would not be surprised that Phoebe Bridgers like took over Lana's (laughs) role in pop culture and became like the, I mean, it makes sense because, like, the the culture at large is not very kind to uh, aging women. And, like, Lana is not far off from 40, whereas Phoebe Bridgers is still very, very yeah, young. Yeah, and, like, now that Lana has been semi-canceled, quote-unquote, but, like, I do feel like Phoebe's going to fill that gap, even though her music's so different. Yeah, but right. I, I think it's kind of like they're they they they've it's different cohorts yeah. too, you know. I think Lana is as millennial as you can be, whereas I think Phoebe runs a bit younger. Yeah, because like it's really interesting. You would think that Mitski, because she's so talented and like so well regarded, would be the next big thing, but somehow she's just not. Maybe it's because of she hiatus, or maybe because like. She feels just um like it be the cowboy was pretty big. I think I think maybe in retrospect it's it, all of Mitski was just setting the table for Phoebe Bridgers, and Phoebe Bridgers is much more of a person who is comfortable being a celebrity. Yeah, maybe. Because like I feel like Mitski, it's like she's really secretive, like she doesn't like revealing much about herself. She likes to be mystery. It's kind of like that yeah. New York thing where like you think she's fascinating, but there's still so much left to uncover about her. But Fe- I would kind of compare her more to PJ Harvey. I think even more because she's PJ Harvey kind of recedes from the spotlight even more so. Yeah, that's true. And I, but yeah, I definitely feel like Phoebe is going to be the next Lana, and I it doesn't make sense. Like saying it out loud, it's like. Yeah, I mean they're they're not tremendously similar musically, but yeah, it makes sense. Like she's feeling the cultural. Yeah, but it's also it's been super interesting to see Phoebe Bridgers become a celebrity. I just think it's so wild. She was just like any other singer songwriter, and I don't know why society has like latched onto her as the next big thing. I mean, isn't it to some extent that she's so good with social media, you know? Like, she really engages with that in a way that, like, certainly Mitski doesn't, you know? And also, I was I was looking at, like, Kubi Ritter's Instagram pretty recently, because I, I think one of, there's, yeah, that one image from it kind of went a little viral. I was like, oh, okay, let's just look at what Kubi Ritter's Instagram is like. And Kubi like, Ritter's is, like, po- like, is, like, posting nudes and stuff. It's like, I cannot imagine Mitski doing Yeah, that. she really has embraced that, like, she was some playboy. She, um, she, she sexualizes herself. And like, she's, I think she's really comfortable with being like a beautiful person in a way that I think other musicians, like, even if they're also beautiful, like they don't, they're probably a lot more ambivalent. Yeah. About it. And it's like this complicated thing where I don't want to say that, like, it would be really fucked up and wrong to say that Phoebe Bridgers' fame is, mostly tied to her looks but at the same time 
has not yeah, heard exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. It does play a certain role. Not a huge role, I would say. Like, it's definitely her music first. But she is somebody who is more marketable as somebody who looks like a model. Um, she wears designer clothes that are sent to her. And... She's an aspirational yeah, she figure. She is definitely aspirational. Like, she... She's dating the guy from Normal People. She, um, she's been involved with rock stars. She's done all these things. Like she is has been on TV a lot. I, it's complicated because it's like you see this person who two years ago was somewhat well known. But pretty obscure, and now literally everybody knows about her and won't shut up about it. But it's, it's so celebrity driven. It definitely it just it keep going back to Lana Del Rey, where it feels like when Lana jumped from being an indie artist to a pop star, where she was like everybody who she stepped out with, like any guy. It was covered, like, paparazzi were always there. Like, people paid so much attention to who their songs, her songs were about and all that stuff. And I feel like the same thing's happened with Phoebe. But I, it's really going to be interesting to see like, if it helps or hurts her career later on. Yeah, I think it kind of depends on how much yeah. he leans into it. So, Tatiana, how can people find you? They can find me on Twitter. My... At is my full name, Tatiana Tenrero. And my Instagram is no soy Larry David. And you can also find me on the AB Club. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me.